My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. It's the Irishman in America with me, Jarlath Regan, in London and Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post over beyond. Well, today, Marion is going to give us the top five most concerning political figures in the U.S. today. Who are they and why do they merit our attention? How realistic is it to think that they will have any impact? in the coming year. And what impact could that be? Marianne, happy December to you, first of all. How is yes. the, are things looking Christmassy there yet? <laughs> Only 24 days. It's not even. It's It gets Christmassy here even before Halloween. The decorations are up. So, uh, And then they wow. just, like post Thanksgiving, there's just an eruption of light. And you know, nowhere does it better, I've got to say, mm. in, in terms of going all out. And I remember when we were kids, we never had any decorations outside the house or, you know, we'd have a candle in the window, which I also thought cheapers, you know, it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Either and, do it or here, don't I, do it. Yeah. It's 10 foot high, blow up Santa's 40 foot high ranges. There's bells, whistles, lights, you, you name it. And it's outside somebody's house or hanging out of somebody's chimney. I love it. It's, it's fantastic. Ah. I also am very happy to say that Jarzilla, my new stand-up show, which we're filming a brand new stand-up special on January 6th in Dublin, is now sold out. But don't fear, we've just added a new date, January 7th, the next day. We're going to do it all again. So if you missed out on tickets for January 6th and you were putting it off and going, oh, God, no, I, I can't spend that until December. We've added the new date and that is selling fast, too. So please do go to Ticketmaster.ie. Marion's going to be there on the 6th. So uh, really looking forward yep. to that. Me too. When I asked you to put together this list of top five concerning, concerning is the word that I wanted to use rather than worrying. I don't want people right. worrying about these people. But these political figures in America are of concern. When I asked you that, what did you put concern in the category of that? Like what 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 okay. merits concern in your opinion? Somebody that can do damage or somebody that could that is kind of actively trying to bring about some kind of negative change. Is that it? Well, you know what? When you said it first, Gerald, I thought, oh, this is a great idea. And I immediately went to crazy. I thought, right. okay, okay, more fun. Craziest, and then I thought, no, 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 no. I have any number of those, but they're too crazy in many ways to be of concern. And I had several Congress people lined up, and one or two senators. And I thought, I mean, Rand Paul, senator for Kentucky, absolutely 
batshit crazy. You know, I mean, from the hounding of... You should of have Anthony, done these guys on another episode. From <laughs> the hounding of Anthony Fauci, which he has done because he thinks he's a doctor. This is, Rand Paul is an ophthalmologist, okay? But he couldn't get certified by the board in Kentucky, so he set up his own board. <laughs> oh, my Self-certified. But that's only part of it. He was... Beaten, he was beaten up quite badly by his next door neighbor at one point a couple of years ago. There was an altercation over a, a leaf blower, apparently. And the neighbor, I suspect Rand Paul came out the worst of it. And the, I remember being in Washington at the time. Now, Congress is a cruel place, but jeepers, the jokes that were going around were really uncharitable. And I remember after Obama, the Gulf oil spill, he said that BP, who were completely reckless, said, oh, this is just a blame game. And this is, it's always got to be someone's fault. And maybe it was just an accident accident, you know, like this is his attitude, but he was particularly COVID brought out the real crazy in him. But we're not we're not even talking about him because as I said, he's just crazy. There was yeah. another guy wrote Jody Heiss from Georgia who he used to have all kinds of crazy things and a, a pastor who is absolutely virulently against same-sex marriage and all kinds of things said that when he was asked what why are you threatened by same-sex marriage why do you feel it threatens your marriage he said well how does a trashy neighborhood affect the value of your house you know <laughs> oh this this is the level of and like there's a lot of crazy anti-semitism anti-Semitism woven into his stuff as well. But he tried to beat Brad Raffensperger to become the Secretary of State for Georgia, which would mean he would count the votes in Georgia's next election in 2024, and God help us all. But he, he but Raffensperger trounced him, basically. Great, um, great. So, well, that, well, that's a really good delineation to make, that, you know, yeah, the so, people that we're going to talk about probably are crazy on some level, but just enough but for people to take concerned. them seriously. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put top of the list of people who are concerning. And I think that's the thing because they have the ability to affect the balance of life in America and just to ignite or to accelerate culture wars. And to because they are powerful people and because they are by and large smart people and capable people to a large degree, they are that much more dangerous because of that. Okay. And, and, you know, it's quite interesting because I was looking this up and looking up all these when I was doing the old crazy, the crazy charts. I realized that a lot of these people went to Yale. Now, Harvard has its share of crazies as well, but like J.D. Vance, okay, definitely out there. Um, Ron DeSantis, who we will come to in a moment. Josh Hawley, this is the senator from Missouri who sort of fist bumped the January 6th guys and then he was seen scuttling through the corridors running for his life when they actually breached the Capitol. Uh, you know, a, a, a horrible, I would have to say, guy in, in my dealings, which have been brief with him, but a real right-wing fanatic and a deeply unpleasant guy, a, another Yale law graduate. Another Yale guy, interesting. Yeah. Stuart Rhodes, the oath keeper who was just convicted of sedition yes. conspiracy, another Yale law graduate, George W. Bush, well, you know, well. Ben Carlson, John Bolton, Steve Mnuchin, John Ashcroft, all of these people are Yale, Ted Cruz's Harvard. He was Princeton and Harvard, actually. And Elise Stefanik, another concerning Republican, is Harvard as well. But most of them, and the funny thing is, a lot of these people came from poor families like J.D. Vance and, and Ron DeSantis and Stuart Rhodes, and they got to Yale, and then they became extremely angry and chippy, almost as though they weren't, they couldn't thrive in the Yale sort of 
liberal as they would see snowflake environments. They came out determined to kick the crap out of every liberal they ever met for the rest of their lives. Wow, so it's yeah. actually Yale that tipped them over the edge. That's, I, would, that's I would say <laughs> there's certainly evidence that they didn't. And, you know, likewise with Harvard, that they came out almost chippier than, well, I don't know what they were like before they went in, but it, it would seem that But people, I mean, Michelle Obama went to Yale. She was, she grew up in a one bedroom apartment in the South side of Chicago with bars on the window. It was a basement. Her father was a janitor. He worked, uh, you know, cleaning subway stations until he became too ill to work. But her mother was determined that Michelle Obama and her brother would do well. And they both got into Yale, having come from the, the most disadvantaged background you could possibly imagine. And she went on to do brilliantly as a lawyer. Her brother has gone on to do brilliantly as well. But it made her very empathic. It made her want to basically not pull up the ladder behind her, but to actually put it down and down so that everybody could reach it. And so it's interesting how this, this affects different people. But anyway, I'm digressing, Jarlis, as is my want. No. No, but that is, that is a it's a really interesting point, isn't it? That a place like that yeah. can can impact you either way, and it can. Yeah. Look, look, I know that UCD, my alma mater, made a lot of people very angry because of the seemingly one rule for the rich and one rule for everyone else. So maybe that that is that is it. Your first person on this list, though, is right. a Yale graduate, right? Um, my first person uh, would be a Yaley as well. It's Ron DeSantis. Now, I do think that Ron DeSantis is, as I've said before, going to be just proven to be too dangerously, you know, he's not just a cultural warrior, he's a cultural terrorist, I would say. And I really mean that with not any in intent to be hyperbolic or exaggerating. Ron DeSantis is the current governor of Florida, and he's regarded as the number one challenger to Donald Trump for the Republican nomination in 2024. Well, today, yes, actually just this week, a court case started involving Ron DeSantis, and it I've just been following it. Now, Ron DeSantis, what he has done to become the sort of national boldface name that he's become is during COVID, he refused to impose lockdowns. He kept Florida wide open for business. He wouldn't close schools. He wouldn't make people shelter in place. He wouldn't do any of those things. And he claimed, look, we all did brilliantly. See, Florida is better than anywhere else. And in fact, it wasn't. And I looked up statistics to check. Florida has a population of about 20 million people. Very briefly, about eighty-two to 85,000 people died from COVID in Florida. Now, there was a lot of, of claims that DeSantis had been manipulating the death rates to deliberately keep them low. A woman, Rebecca Jones, who worked in the as a data analyst in the Department of Health in Florida, claimed this. She was fired. She's now facing a court case in January, a criminal court case, because DeSantis says that she put out a message saying to basically the health system, the health department in Florida, look, somebody's got to be a hero here. We can't have another 17,000 people dying or words to that effect. The police went around her house, raided her house, took her children's computers, her computer, her husband's, went through Fuck everything. Hell. And she is now going to be tried for criminally accessing a government department, it basically service, which was the Florida Department of Health internal system. That's just one example of where Ron DeSantis will go to whatever distance it takes. Now, she may have done that. She says she didn't. It's possible that she did. But nobody gets 
prosecuted for something like that? First of all, you don't fire somebody because they say, hang on, you're manipulating the data. Well, you know, or you don't do it in the way, but you, and you don't then persecute them. Now, he has done the same thing with a Florida prosecutor who is now suing him to get his job back. And that case has come up this week. And again, it's a really worrying case. What happened was th this prosecutor, who is the chief prosecutor for Tampa for District 13, he basically said, look, I am not going to make a priority of persecuting and going after and criminalizing women who have had abortions if this if it falls outside of the new very strict Florida laws. And he said, and furthermore, I'm not going to criminalize teenagers who want to have tra who are trans and who want to advance their sex changes. Now, Ron DeSantis immediately fired him. He fired him and he held a press conference, basically holding him up as exhibit A of everything that is wrong with the liberals and the way they enforce the law and how dangerous it is. And this is why cities like San Francisco are rotten with crime and et cetera, et cetera. Now, the case against DeSantis, which is, as I said, is being heard this week, is that first of all, this prosecutor, the top prosecutor in Tampa, signed a letter saying, you know, that basically that he, he didn't want to make these prosecutions a priority. That is, he says that's his First Amendment right. And secondly, he says Ron DeSantis can't fire him because he was elected by the people of Tampa and the governor can't fire somebody who's elected. The governor can only fire somebody who he appointed, a state mm. employee. So anyway, we'll see where that goes. But it, it was, again, really worrying because he didn't just fire this guy. Uh, he had a sheriff go around to his office and read, hand him the thing saying, basically, you're fired. He wasn't even allowed to review it. And then he was taken out of his office like a criminal, effectively, by the sheriff and by armed police. So, you know, it seems very much that DeSantis did overreach his powers because the other thing was that DeSantis couldn't provide evidence of a single case where he had declined to prosecute someone, not a single case. And also there are no laws currently, although it'll change, I'm sure, that there are no laws that criminalize any aspect of changing gender. Whether you're a teenager or an adult, they're just not on the statute books in Florida. So it's a moot point. So basically, how why would you fire somebody for not enforcing a law that doesn't exist? Is, mm -hmm. is what, you know, the, the question is. So I suspect he may be reinstated, mm -hmm. but there are so many more. That's just two examples. DeSantis he's, he's a big man on the show, right? So this is all for show and obviously with one eye to the national view, yeah. right? It's it's the political performance that he needs to reverberate around the country so that people can say, look at what DeSantis is doing. And you can really read that in all of his speeches, the, the way he talks about Florida is a refuge of sanity when the world went mad. Yeah. He yeah. stood as the citadel of freedom for people across this country. Everything is, it seems to be pointing the ship in one direction. Yeah. How realistic is it to think that if you're a gambling woman, Marion, what Which odds? I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what odds would you give this guy of toppling? the big orange fella who we are deliberately excluding from this list. I, at the moment, I think that a lot of Republicans would certainly prefer DeSantis. He could topple Trump, but is he too out there and, and to win 
to become a president. I'll give you another example. Um, a judge in Florida called Mark Walker issued a ruling last week. Um, it was This was to do to Santos's Don't Say Gay Law, where he said, you're not allowed to discuss anything to do with homosexuality in schools for children under a certain age. And then he, the law said, or in fact, any age at all that I decide, basically because I am the governor and I am the, the, power, that be, the power that he is in Florida. But then he decided he was going to extend it to Florida's public university system. And it, he said that he has unfettered authority to basically muzzle its professors in the name of freedom. So in order to stop woke and keep people free, um, he said, I can tell professors in universities they are not allowed to discuss certain topics. And of course, the topics are homosexuality and abortion. Of and course, it, they yeah, are. And you think that's just a bridge too far? So the judge, anyway, this judge, Mark Walker, he actually started, he threw it out of court and he said that it was positively dystopian, but he started his judgment by paraphrasing George Orwell from 1984. And he said it was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13 and the powers in charge of Florida's public university system have declared the state. And he went on and on to, you know, and so basically this judge who is based in Florida, who is not a democratic judge, was saying to the you cannot do this. You cannot, as governor, order professors not to discuss certain things at university level. And DeSantis believed he had the power to do that. He also then, of course, um, when Disney complained about the don't say gay laws, he said to Disney, right, I'm stopping your special tax status. So to me, what's concerning about him is the tendencies towards being a despot. Now, DeSantis is a well-educated guy. He's a lawyer, as we said. He graduated from Yale Law School. He knows the law, and yet he is willing to do things like this, to overreach in ways that a first-year law student could have said, no, 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 that's not going to work. He has hired a team around him of people who make it their business to besmirch and defame anybody who disagrees with DeSantis. And he basically has decided that the way to win and to get to the top of the ticket and the way to get national attention is not to be a good Republican governor. And there are good Republican governors in America and plenty of them, in fact, but to be the most inflammatory Republican governor. Now, you know, Florida is different, as we've said before, and what will work there might work there because there are a lot of crazy people there and there are a lot of very, very rich people there who love them and who love no taxes and all that Florida brings. But I think that he is really concerning because as governor of Florida, he's going to keep on this cultural warrior war path and war path and war footing, but also he is going to make a bid for the presidency. And because he is smart, because he is competent, because he works ferociously hard, he is somebody who could be very, very dangerous. And if he did get into the White House, I think it would be extremely concerning. So my um my question wasn't whether he could become president first. I think my my number one concern for this guy is yeah. if he's, you know, the devil you don't know. Uh, we we kind of have the playbook on Donald Trump. Yeah. But with this guy, you know, he we talked about the new hot thing. That's very yeah. much him right now, the darling. Uh, yeah. with the the kind of the freshness, fresh out of the box kind of feel to him. Yeah. Is it likely like in your opinion? That well, he could topple Trump as the nominee. I think he could topple Trump as the nominee, but I think that Trump would have to come to an arrangement with him where Trump would say, okay, you know what, I'll give you my MAGA base. I think it would have to require Trump bowing out 
and saying and basically behaving like a kingmaker and saying to mm. his base, okay, go and this follow Ron. Right. Mm. Now, and that, this that is, is I cannot picture that. Can you? He hates Ron DeSantis. <laughs> and Ron DeSantis, having gone from being the guy, and we spoke about this before on the show, Charles, where when he was sucking up to Trump and he wanted to become governor of Florida, he put out videos of him with his two-year-old, I think was a child at the time, going, build a wall. And he was getting oh the blocks and going, build a wall and Mexico will pay to his two-year-old child. And this is the person who opposes indoctrination of children, ironically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yes. but, uh, so By any I means necessary, yeah. He could get the nomination. I think that, that Trump... The things you can never count out, Donald Trump. You just can't. But I think DeSantis at the moment seems the most likely, largely because he did so well in the midterms. He didn't just romp home like uh, absolutely in the clear. He he turned the whole of Florida red. Like even areas like Broward County, Miami Dade, which traditionally vote Democrat, they all voted for him, and um, they all voted for Republicans. So he has shown that. He can't, it's not just that he wins the top of the ticket, but that he brings victory to the, the people below him at the state level, at the legislature level. And that is what Republicans want. So mm. we've seen that he can win. And, but will he, as I said, will his far rightness and his despotic leanings be in, in vogue in 2024? We've seen a lot of signs recently that people are really getting sick of this kind of crap, you know? And so I don't know. I still think that somebody like Mike Pompeo might have the edge largely because Trump, I think if he's going to give his MAGA troops to anybody, it might be Pompeo because Pompeo was suck up in chief when he was the CIA chief for Donald Trump and when he was the secretary of state. And he's mm. being very careful to still stay on site. Uh, and will, uh, we'll will those troops just row in? That's the other question. I think one of the most concerning mm. things about DeSantis is what you mentioned in a previous episode is the personality deficit that oh, he yeah. can be this popular <laughs> despite yeah. having a gaping black hole where his personality should be. Indeed. <laughs> Let's Indeed. go on to number two. We aren't flying through the list, but we, we should get straight on to our next one. Right. Now, who I think for number two, I've had a bit of a juggle around here. I think it's going to have to be Kevin McCarthy. Okay. Uh, and the reason it's going to have to be Kevin McCarthy with, and you can also insert S Steve Scalise in this slot, and I'll only give you a very brief rundown of him. Uh, he, he fits crazy and concerning, actually, Steve Scalise. But anyway, Kevin McCarthy is, if he can pull it off, the most likely person to be the next Speaker of the House. This puts him in a position of enormous power. But it actually puts him in a position also, paradoxically, of very little power. The reason, you know, Speaker basically calls the shot in Congress that decides what who gets what bills go to the floor, who gets investigated, what the committees do, who the committee chairs will be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a hugely powerful position. And of course, you're third in line to the presidency as well. So all in all, this is very it, it looks like it'll be Kevin McCarthy. There are some hardline far writers who are saying, no, we're not voting for McCarthy. We not not a chance. He has to get 218 votes to become the next speaker. At the moment, there are at least six or seven Republicans who are saying, no way, we're not voting for you, which means 
He won't be the next speaker. I'm very skeptical about this, though. I think that they're doing this to hold him, his feet to the fire right up until the last minute on January 3rd to get any concessions they want from him. Because, you know, by January 2nd, he's going to give away the house and he's going to give away his house in California and he's going to give away his deli in California. and He's probably going to give away his children in California as well, because he wants more than anything else to become the speaker. And this is why these the Andy Biggs and Matt Gates and his crew, they're, they're all holding out and saying, no, 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 we're not voting for you because they believe that by doing so, they're going to get concessions. Now, he's already given away the farm to Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was interviewed the other day and the smugness that was radiating from her. And she said, of course, I'm going to be on committees. What a ridiculous question. It looks like she will be on the House Oversight Committee, which is one of the most powerful committees in the in Congress, which basically decides they can decide anyone they want to investigate. They can just go, OK, over here, you, you and you. And of course, that'll be people like Anthony Fauci. It'll be people like Merrick Garland. And of course, it'll be Hunter Biden. And it will very likely be Joe Biden as well, who she has already filed impeachment papers on. So Kevin McCarthy has decided that in order to get um, the speaker's gavel, he has got to give Marjorie Taylor Greene whatever she wants. He's also decided the same thing about a number of other very reactionary, very dangerous, I would say, and concerning Republicans. Jim Jordan would be another one. Jim Jordan where to start? <laughs> I mean, concerning and crazy ticks both boxes. I'll, I'll just say this. My, my, my favorite scripture verse is 2 Timothy 4, 7. It says, fight the good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. And I, and I tell folks, I tell folks that's a verse for our country. Fight, finish, keep. Words of action, not timid words, not sissy words, words that we associate with America and words that we associate with the best president we've ever had, President Trump. God bless you all. These are McCarthy's people. These are the people who are holding McCarthy hostage. So it's not so much that he of his own volition would be crazy because he doesn't right. have the he's to be he's crazy. for the but he is a puppet for some of the craziest, most dangerous people in Congress. And the thing about McCarthy, and I remember people saying this to me years ago, that he can't bear to be disliked. He wants to keep everyone happy. He has no spine. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He's not He's, he's not even the sharpest spoon in the drawer. And he just, you know, he's just like, it, he, he was, he went to some college in California. He bought a deli. He won five grand in the lottery and he invested in a deli. So he owned quite a successful deli. He went back and did an MBA somewhere. And But he's an unremarkable man in every sense. Now, he came into Congress in this huge fit of hubris with Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor. And they called themselves the Young Guns. And they wrote a book with the three of them on the cover. And they're all wearing these sharp suits. And they thought they were young and hot. Um, you know, as I said, by, by Republican standards, I suppose they were. Yeah. He does look like a cartoon of a politician. That's what yeah. I'd say. When you look this, guy's up, this guy up, he looks like um, something from the Naked Gun. As, exactly. Uh, the the yes. permatan and the, the coiffed hair and the sharp suit. And yeah, he's, but he, they, they decided they were going to run the Republican Party. So, of course, Eric Cantor was the first one to become speaker. He got turfed out. He, he lost in a primary to another Republican, which as speaker is unheard of. Paul Ryan then quit in 2018 when he became speaker. And because he he couldn't cope with Trump and he couldn't cope with what was happening. Paul Ryan, also a pretty spineless guy, the wonky guy, but 
you know, no match for Trump. And then Kevin McCarthy, of course, went crawling down to Mar-a-Lago and kissed the ring after the January 6th um, insurrection, the failed insurrection. And having chastised Trump for about a minute, less than a minute, he then went groveling back to, you know, to be taken back into the fold. So he is somebody who he wants to be speaker. And God knows why, because if you look at the fate of the last six or seven Republican speakers over the last 30 years, every one of them has ended up either being hounded out of office, being prosecuted. One of them even went to prison, uh, Dennis Hastert. Um, Tom DeLay got a three-year prison sentence as well, another one. That was overturned, however, on appeal. I mean, none of them end up well. The one who ended up best was John Boner, who preceded Paul Ryan. And he's now a, very unlikely for a Republican, but he's now a major lobbyist for cannabis, for legalising cannabis. Uh, which just goes to show one. what 20 years being the Republican leader will do for you. So our biggest fear with Kevin McCarthy or the biggest concern with him is that he could yeah. get this role yeah. and then be pulled hither and thither by anybody that tells him he's a cool exactly. guy. Exactly. And but will be oh he already he's given two hostages to fortune and he's over a barrel already because he has agreed to to James Comer running the Oversight Committee, who's a fellow traveller with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he's agreed to Jim Jordan running the Judiciary Committee. Now Jim Jordan, I'll be brief, because he will also fit in in the concerning and but also, as I said, he ticks the crazy box too. You've probably seen him. I'm sure all the gang out there have seen Jim Jordan. He goes around. He never wears a jacket. He always goes around in his shirt sleeves, and he's all, he's got this kind of bristling manic. He's like a little Jack Russell Terrier. He's always yapping. <laughs> <laughs> and highly, highly excitable, always sounding off and, you know, about something. He's going to be chair of the Judiciary Committee. He is possibly the least qualified person to be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, which is a really serious committee and tends to attract very cerebral, very smart people on both the Republican and the Democratic side. Jim Jordan went to a law college in, I think, was it Ohio? I think it was Ohio, which um, is ranked as, I think, number 180, 95 out of 197 law colleges in America. In other words, it's the second worst law school in the whole of America. He got in there and apparently anyone can get in there. If you wanted your if you wanted your dog to get a law degree, you could send him there. It's called Capital. It's where um, Lionel Hutz went to university. <laughs> I know what you mean. Basically, yeah. And Michael Cohn went to another one, Trump's former lawyer. He went to another college in that area, like of that ilk as well, that basically, if you can write the entrance fee check and if you can sign your own name on the admission form, you're in. Yeah, so you anyway, get a smoking monkey with every degree. This is it. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but Jordan is vehemently, he, like he's such an ideologue and he's so angry and he just wants revenge and vengeance on the Democrats and he's Trump's kind of pit bull in Congress and has always been that. And so, you know, he he's slightly manic. He does not talk coherently. He doesn't appear to think coherently. And once he gets in there, it's going to be about revenge, revenge, revenge. And and the way I suspect he will abuse that committee is going to be 
pretty appalling. And so what he's been saying already is we're going to get the Democrats and we're going to be 10 times worse than they were. We're going to get them back for everything and then some. Now, you know, the Democrats did have legitimate reasons to carry out investigations. I I think that January 6th, I mean, whether or not you agree with impeaching Trump over, over the Ukrainian, the strong arming of Zelensky, it was a completely appalling thing for a president to do. I think trying to get a a foreign president to to fake dirt on your political opponent in America, I would say that's worthy of impeachment and withholding vital aid as as they. But anyway, you know the jury's out in that. But but anyway, this is regarded by Jordan as the worst transgression ever. And there's also so he wants to basically get on the judiciary committee, become the chair, and just lay waste, just declare war on Democrats for the next two years. The other thing that Kevin McCarthy has said, which Jordan and Green, etc., are insisting on, is that he fires because um, Marjorie Taylor Green was removed from the Education and Labour Committees after a vote because of her anti-Semitic comments and her posts, and because she hounded David Hogg, who was the survivor of the Parkland massacre. He went to Congress as an advocate for gun control, and she followed him down the street. She yelled at him. She mocked him. She jeered oh, yes. him. Yeah. And people just said, you know, it's a bridge too far. So the only punishment they could give her, because McCarthy wouldn't do anything, was uh, to get her off committees. So what Jim Jordan is saying now is, okay, we want three of them for Marjorie Taylor Green. We want three of them to get to get them back for Green. So Adam Schiff, who was the chair of the of the intelligence committee really smart guy, Eric Swalwell, another really smart guy, and Ilan Omar, who is a Muslim representative from, she's M- Minneapolis, I believe. So they say that they want all, they want them basically as, it's almost like a prisoner swap, but that, that they're all going to, to as payback for Taylor Green being kicked off. So that's the kind of mentality and that's the chaos. It would take a really strong, tough leader with a spine of steel and a brilliant strategist. You know, it would almost take somebody like a Lyndon B. Johnson to control the Republicans in the House at the moment. Kevin McCarthy is the worst possible person. The only person who might be worse, who's also on the list of dangerous, concerning and slightly crazy would be Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise is the number two Republican. He's the whip, majority whip at the moment. He will become a House leader if McCarthy becomes the speaker. Um, Sorry, right now he's minority whip. Steve Scalise is from Louisiana. He is, he's, before it was fashionable in Republican circles, which sadly it is now, he was a white nationalist. He used to attend white supremacist meetings in Louisiana, where he's from. He made some appalling comments, anti-Semitic comments. I think he would have been kicked out of Congress, but for the fact that he was the guy who was shot and nearly killed back in 2017. I remember being in DC, they were having the annual, it was around June, they have this baseball friendly every year between the Democrats and the Republicans in the House. And there was a practice going on and Scalise was on the pitch and a gunman came and he shot five people, including either one or two police officers. Nobody died, but they were injured. They were all injured. Scalise was, and he was, the the gunman was then shot dead by police. Now, this gunman was a Bernie Sanders supporter and had been on his, his website that he had approved of Bernie Sanders. The FBI subsequently said this was suicide by cop, basically. He went out there and he wanted to be killed. And this is why he targeted the uh, congressional 
baseball game because of course yeah. they'd be crawling with cops. Now the Republicans got very angry about that and and said this is bullshit. You know, you're just protecting this guy and and basically he's a Democrat and when it's a Republican you never say that. And so anyway, Scalise was almost killed. He was very badly injured. He almost bled to death on the field. And before that there were all kinds of inquiries into him and he was regarded as this really repugnant guy. But because he survived and he came back to Congress, he's kind of gotten a soft pass. Yeah, Even he's a bit of a hero. Yeah, ever since it's like ah, he got gut shot. Sure, God love him, and uh, yeah, we know he's a white nationalist. But that's you know, and so he would be if Kevin McCarthy can't get the votes. It's quite likely that Steve Scalise would, and he might appeal more to the extreme faction because of his very extreme views. I don't believe Kevin McCarthy is a white nationalist or an out and out racist, racist or an anti-Semitic, but he panders to people who are. So, you know, that he he's happy for them to be his fellow travelers and for them to pull his strings. But I think if Scalise becomes leader, then, you know, there, there could be trouble there. You know, there, there is no doubt about that. We've got a ton more to get through, don't we? We've got it also got some honorable <laughs> mentions that are going to get a, yes, a shout. <laughs> I won't reveal who they are. I have the list in front of me. You'll need to come over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad and sign up for a year's membership. We are offering a 15% discount in the lead up to Christmas. And if you want to gift somebody membership of the Irishman Abroad, I can arrange that too. It's tricky, but I can arrange it and even do up a little gift card for you. So if you're loving the show, why not do it? Pop on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. You get a minimum of two episodes a week and a whole load of big name guests that are being lined up to celebrate our 10th year of podcasting at Irishman Abroad. It's all over there, patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Have the cameras rolling. This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.